By the way, your sweatshirt's on backwards. I honestly put a sweatshirt on backwards at least once a day. It's And I've actually put it on backwards, then taken it off, and then put it on backwards again. <laughs> Happens all the time. This week on Extinction Event, the Mamo Bird. This Hawaiian bird was so beautiful that its feathers were used exclusively for the garments of Hawaiian royalty. Would this gorgeous creature be plucked into oblivion, or did Europeans have other plans for it? Welcome to Extinction Event, a podcast about extinct and soon-to-be extinct animals. I'm your host, Melissa Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with the wonderful, beautiful Jack Collier. Be- a beauty. Whoa. Thank you for that <laughs> just flattering introduction. I thought I'd try it out. Is this week's bird, would you consider it beautiful yes very beautiful i mean all birds in my opinion are very beautiful but the this false one, what wait what who what, what, what bird are you talking about you've ever seen the inside of a penguin's mouth it looks uh, like the sarlacc <laughs> pit from star wars do you just you know i have nightmares about snakes do you just have nightmares about the inside of penguin you, mouths you want to google it right now i you've talked about this before this isn't the first time you brought it up yeah, because they're disgusting. <laughs> okay, well, we're not going to be talking a lot about the inside of the mamo bird today. We're just talking about the outside. Okay. So, uh, mamo birds. Isn't that a cool name? I get, yeah, it's pretty cool. Mamo. All those Hawaiian words just, they're uh, just so fun and silly to say. Are we sure we're saying it right? No, absolutely not. It's probably like mamo. Mamo birds. I did not get the memo. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about this bird. The Mamo. It's a glossy black bird with pops of bright yellow feathers on its wings, rump, and under its tail. You get that the rump, right? You know what I'm talking about there. You were, yeah, hiding it pretty well, but I think I understand what the word rump means. I was also pointing to my own rump when I said that. You can't couldn't see it, though. Okay. It's on average about eight inches. It had a very long curved bill, and it probably ate the nectar of native lobelia flowers and insects. It's what is called an understory bird. I didn't know what that was, but that means it survived mainly in the undergrowth of the forest. So it's not high up in the canopy most often. It uh, was said to be very tame and easy to capture, but then I also found sources claiming that it was super elusive and not easy to capture at all. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know. If it's extinct, uh, I'm going to go with the first one. All right. So this bird only lived on the big island of Hawaii, and we're not really sure how long it had been there or how it even got there. At least I couldn't find that. But one of the other birds that we're going to talk about today, the Oahu O'o, I don't, look, it's O 
O. That's the name of the bird. Spell it. It's O. O. And what are the letters? It's O O. That's the letters. I know that's the name, but how do you spell it? O O. Okay, you're being real withholding today. I don't. I. I, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> o apostrophe O. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about that a little bit, and that one belonged to the Australian honey eater family, and scientists believe that that bird could have been blown over by strong winds all the way from Australia across the ocean to Oahu. Uh, so maybe that's how... It's a strong wind. <laughs> it's real strong. <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, maybe that's how the Mamo got to Hawaii as well. So I got to give you a little bit of a history on Hawaii before we start here. Please do. Uh, the date of the first settlement on the Hawaiian islands is debated, but some sources have it as early as 124 AD. But again, that's not a solid date. Some people dated a lot later. Uh, these would have been Polynesian settlers who traveled to Hawaii in canoes and these settlers would be isolated from the rest of the world for at least 500 years. So they start populating the different islands, and these different groups develop across them, making up their own small little kingdoms. And the highest-ranking members of these groups would wear these elaborate royal garments, the very best of which were comprised of bird feathers. So these royal garments are things like capes, helmets, lays... I'm sure you're familiar with those. Oh, yeah. But those are not made with feathers anymore. They're made with flowers. flowers. Yeah. Uh, and also royal staffs. So they're making those out of feathers. In traditional Polynesian culture, red is considered a royal color. But over in Hawaii, yellow would become the color of royalty. And they think this was because yellow feathers were more scarce and more difficult to obtain than red feathers were. So the most sought-after birds during this time were the ones with the very best yellow feathers, and those were the O'o and the Mamo. Uh oh <laughs> The Mamo feathers were considered the crown jewels of Hawaii because their feathers had this very deep, rich yellow hue that was used for the very best feather work on the royal garments. It was better than the OO yellow f flowers. Those were prized as well, but the mamos were the best. The creme de la creme. Yes. So how did they acquire these special feathers, and did the Hawaiians pluck the poor mamos into extinction? Yes. Short answer, yes. <laughs> well, they had these bird catcher guilds that specialized in getting feathers. Is it just people whose jobs were to catch birds and take their feathers? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. And for the Mamo in particular, uh, these birds lived in an area that was considered sacred and off-limits. It was up high. But these special bird catchers were granted access to these areas to go acquire they get backstage passes to the choicest jungle right catch these birds pluck their feathers come back with their riches 
Yeah, little celebrities of their own time. They used a variety of methods to catch the birds. One way is that you would apply a sticky sap onto a branch and you just wait for a bird to land on it. It gets stuck and then the bird catcher would come up, grab it, and pluck a few feathers from the bird and release it. That's cool. Very different than the other stories we usually hear where you kill it in the bloodiest way possible and then take your one little thing like a single feather right. and leave the body to rot. Yeah. Instead of developing a special musket to yeah. obliterate the bird. This is the Mamo hammer. <laughs> it's got the killing power to kill 12 Mamos in a single swing. <laughs> oh. I think you're going to like this other method. This way, you would hold a flower in your hand and... (laughs) Serious. There's already some wily coyote stuff. (laughs) And you just, you know, sink back into the underbrush and be very still (laughs) and wait for a bird to come up, stick its beak into the flower, and then you'd press down on its beak. Oh, get (laughs) out. It's true. It's just true. And then it'd be trapped by its beak, and then you could pluck the feathers out that way, and then you just let go of the okay. beak. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. It seemed ridiculous to me, too, but they have a really long beak. I don't care how long your beak is. Fake. What if it was a really enticing flower? Hmm? How do you get anybody resist? to do this method? Dude. This is the ultimate job to have is to go up into the sacred zone and like hide in the underbrush with a flower for five hours and then catch a bird. <laughs> I, it sounds like something you make up. To like, so what do you do up there all day? <laughs> I'm like, it's very difficult. You wouldn't understand. First, you have to cover yourself head to toe with the camouflage. And then you have to become the flower. Like hour three of you laying on your back with a flower in your hand, staring up at the sky, being like, oh, jeez, I hope a bird comes. <laughs> yeah, right. That works. I- <laughs> Everyone else is doing the sticky uh, sap method. Just get like collecting feathers. And then there's one guy in the corner who's like, Shh, everyone shut up. You're like, why? This is the dumbest method. Yeah, maybe that was a competing bird guild that did it that way. And everybody looked down upon them. I don't know. <laughs> this sounds like someone who wanted to take a nap. <laughs> like, I'm doing the other method. <sighs> uh, okay. So it's also believed that most bird catchers only hunted for the feathers during the molting season. So that's when the birds are losing feathers anyway. They're getting their summer coat. So they probably weren't rendering the birds entirely flightless. But we don't know for sure. We do know that the Hawaiians ate birds, but it seems unlikely that they were going to be eating these prized mamos. Also, considering that the mamos lived in this sacred area, it just seems a little bit more likely that they're going to release the birds instead of use them as a food source when they could gather birds in non-sacred areas. I mean, in reality, it's probably going to be a mix of both. Sometimes you let it go. Sometimes you're hungry and you just want a snack. Yeah. I mean, you're laying on your back for three hours waiting for that bird to come up. You're going to get hungry. <laughs> but yeah, if I somehow managed to trick a bird by pretending I was a flower, 
I'm not letting that bird go. That's my trophy now. Uh, also, as with most extinction event stories, the Mamo seems to be doing fine until the Europeans arrive. No! <laughs> uh, yes, so we've reached the European contact portion of the podcast yet again. I'm picking up on a trend here. <laughs> Nurse, can you please hand me a scalpel? Scalpel. And some gauze? Gauze. And uh, some stitches? Stitches. And nurse, can you please hand me something with sprouted nuts that's organic and uh, perhaps a raw protein bar? How about this goji berry trail mix mammoth bar? Oh, perfect. Uh, scalpel. Scalpel. Um, blood bucket. Bucket. And uh, something with free of harmful additives, cleaner and more nutritious. Also low in sugar, high protein, and only 9 grams of sugar packed with 12 grams of protein. I have a uh, vanilla almond or macadamia coconut mammoth bar. Give me the macadamia. Someone's life's on the line. I don't have time for this. Macadamia coconut bar. Yes, that one. Thank you. And... Uh, Stitches. Uh, doctor? Yes. Are, are you putting these bars into the patient? Some of them. Oh. Are you questioning my methods? No, sir. No, doctor. I, I, Give me another scalpel. Scalpel. And a different flavor of protein bar made in the small batch. Uh, I've got a cinnamon cashew left, doctor. There's no time. Give it to me. Here you go. Okay, and just stitch them back up here. Oh, Nurse, have you seen my phone? Last time I was using it was just a second ago when I was signing on to mammothbar.com oh. to order a variety pack. I'm. Can you call it? Okay. I think it's coming from inside the body. Oh, boy. Seventeen seventy eight British Captain Cook sights the Hawaiian Islands on his third Pacific voyage and he decides to name them the Sandwich Islands <laughs> <laughs> in honor of the Earl of Sandwich, one of his patrons, a name that obviously would not stick. Mm. <laughs> bummer. It's a real yeah, that is a bummer. It could have been cool. Everyone vacationing in sandwiches. Indeed. All the club med sandwiches. <laughs> okay. So eventually he's going to make his way to Kalekakua Bay. Kalekakua. Kalekakua. How, you just... Kalekakua. Yes, that's, it, that's what I'm reading. How do you know how to say that? I just try and talk like Justin. <laughs> Kalekakua. Wow. You're going to say all the Hawaiian words for the rest of the podcast, okay? <laughs> all right. So they, he makes his way down this bay uh, off the big island, and it was known by the locals as the pathway to the gods. So when he sailed down it, at first they think... A.K.A. Stairway to Heaven. 
At first, they think Cook was an incarnation of a god. Thousands of canoes come out to greet him, and they're showering him with gifts. There's a chief there, and he gives Cook the cape off of his back, Whoa. his helmet, and I think some other things. And these are made with the feathers. Mm-hmm. Eventually, these go on display in museums much later. They still exist. Let me guess. And they took like the cape, and they're like, are these feathers made of gold? What, because of vibrant yellow? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, keep going. Keep okay, going. so Cook, uh, you know, gives them some gifts too. He gives them goats, pigs, seeds, and later he'd also trade metal on the ship for provisions. And they say that the sailors traded iron nails for sex. Uh. But I, I don't know, man. That sounds like one of those. Uh, dear diary, <laughs> today I traded a nail for sex with a native. I, Sounds like it got rapey and then you threw some nails at him. <laughs> how are you? How is that transaction going down? Are you pull you pull out you're like, hey, here's some nails for sex, and then of course, of course. Oh yes, okay. How does that work? Yeah, I'm not buying that story unless there's a lot of miming going on. <laughs> a lot of like, someone comes up to you, they hand you some nails, and then they start thrusting the air. And you're like, oh, yes, of course. Let's enter into this transaction, good fellow. Do you think the Hawaiians knew the circle hand finger (laughs) motion? Uh, You do a circle with one hand and then you put your finger in through the circle. And and then go, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think that could have worked. Historically, at that time, I think that was a universal symbol. Yeah. For. All right. Copulation. This is also the first contact that Europeans are having with the Mamo. They also collect some of the Mamos on this trip. But, oddly, they're not bloodthirsty for the bird. They're just curious about it. They like the feathers as well. They don't blame it for, like, sucking goat blood out of their goats or something which mm-hmm. you know as is tradition yes all right so that happens but things don't go good well <laughs> from here on out uh one of cook's crew members dies and the hawaiians realize that these strangers aren't gods because they're not immortal they're kind of pissed off about this things go sour and cook books it out of there out of the bay uh but as he's leaving one of his ships gets damaged and they have to return to the island this time awkward awkward. that's like that's like uh you ever host somebody at your house for a couple days and you're just tired as hell from entertaining and Mm -hmm. and then uh you take them to the airport and their flight gets delayed a day and you just go go to hotel like i'm done (laughs) i cannot please come back Yay, more time. <laughs> yeah. This time, they're not greeted as warmly as they were before. The Hawaiians are throwing rocks at them, and they steal one of their small vessels, and uh, chaos ensues. One of the Hawaiian chiefs gets shot, and the Hawaiians retaliate by going after Cook and his crew. They retreat. Some escape. But Cook 
is killed in the process. Whoa. It seems to me like most of these stories, the captain always gets away. Like the entire crew was lost. Somehow the captain survived. It's crazy that he got killed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but like whatever, who cares? I don't I honestly don't even know why we're talking about Cook this much. What about the Mamos? Exact that's my thing. Who cares there about the There were this any Mamos injured in this fight? Uh I'm gonna assume a couple had to get injured because they might have been on the ships. Yeah. So basically what this does though, it opens up the floodgates for the rest of the world to Hawaii because they're all gonna they all know about Hawaii now. It's going to be the ultimate vacation spot yeah. eventually. Well, it's still Sandwich Islands, so <laughs> people are coming. Yeah, but just pause on that for a second. Remember how the islands used to be made up of all these little different groups? Well, starting around 1795, all those groups start to unite, eventually forming the Kingdom of Hawaii. And King Kamahamaha... Kamehameha. Kamehameha, uh, you are blowing my mind. <laughs> Jeez, King Kamehameha the first is the mastermind behind this whole thing. He is also the owner of a very famous feathered cape, sometimes called the Million Dollar Cloak. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's no. In, okay. It's an incredibly lavish coat. Very beautiful, and it's supposedly constructed of 450,000 feathers, 80,000 of which are the highly prized Mamo feathers. This coat is blowing my mind. It's crazy. You can look it up. Can you post a picture on the tweet? If I remember. Okay. Sometimes I forget that the Twitter even exists. Okay, so it would have been really difficult for just one of those kings when there was they were all different little groups to have acquired that many feathers. So it makes sense that King Kamehameha, Kamehameha the first, the founder of the kingdom of Hawaii, would have a cape like this because he could have got that many feathers by collecting them from the different chiefs, mm. the ones that they had. Yeah. All right. This unification also brings a decline in feather use because it's not really needed anymore. Those elaborate garments held less of an institutional role than they did because they were all united and the feather work becomes more ceremonial. Mm -hmm. So right around the time the Europeans arrive and that's also around the time that the Kingdom of Hawaii comes together, you're also going to see a decline in the use of the feathers. And it's not necessarily because there was less birds it was just there was less of a need for them feathers are going out of style so that might be good for the mamo you know the europeans here aren't trying to hammer them all to death with the mamo hammer and the native hawaiians aren't going after them even though we don't think they were really killing them anyways so there's a decline in feather work there's also a decline in native hawaiians uh. <laughs> Americans and Europeans start to shuffle in, and with them, they bring some nice gifts. They bring bubonic plague, leprosy, yellow fever, and the Hawaiian population takes a big hit. Okay, yes, that's terrible. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's very common throughout history. Mm -hmm. But as a mamo, 
I would think this is a boost to my survival rates. But we already know, since it's on the pod, this does not end well with the Mamo. <laughs> Something big is coming. Right. But temporarily, as a Mamo, yeah, you might be stoked. Am I fun to shoot? Am I killing livestock? Am I a vampire? No, I'm a Mamo. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay, well, these outsiders bring gifts of disease for the Hawaiians, but they also bring some gifts for the birds. Peanut butter covered with seeds. They want to set up sugar plantations. Oh. Yeah. Yes, they want to farm. And with that comes things like cattle, pigs, goats. Also, you've got all these ships coming. You've got hitchhiking rats on the boats. Mm. This really messes with the birds. The rats are eating their eggs. The cattle are roaming around and stomping all over their habitat. And remember, they're living in the underbrush. Yeah. Also, they're dealing with these strange new diseases that are carried by all the animals. Ecosystem gets thrown into the blender and set on pulse. <laughs> uh, exactly. And also, the birds are being hunted. Uh, you know, they're really beautiful birds and they have great singing voices as well. So many of these birds are sold as songbirds. This is the mamos and the oos. You were going to say mamos and the papos? <laughs> Good singing voices. Come on. It's all coming together. You could do it. They put out their first album shortly after. Okay, but it turns out they don't make good uh, songbirds. They usually die within a week of being taken from their habitat. Just like Big Mama Cass. So it's not looking good for the birds or the native Hawaiians. In fact, so many Hawaiians have died that the sugar plantation owners have to start bringing in a bunch of outside labor. Immigrants come from Japan, China, and the Philippines to work on the plantations. And by 1896, that's like, you're fast forwarding a lot, but about 25% of the Hawaiian population was Japanese. Mm. Pretty quick transformation there. Yeah, less than 100 years. So now Hawaii is this huge sugar-based empire, and the colonists who are the owners of those sugar plantations, along with American missionaries, they decide to overthrow the kingdom of Hawaii, uh, and then America just establishes it as a territory. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they just kind of took it. But what about the birds? Most of what we know about the birds comes from collectors, European and, and American collectors of the time. They're out there either collecting museum specimens or in some cases these short-lived songbirds. But at this point, even though they might not even realize it, the collectors are competing against the rats and the pigs, the cattle, and mm. disease. So it's hard to find these birds because all those things are getting to the birds faster than the collectors in most cases. For instance, you remember the O'O bird? Yes. There's a couple varieties. The one on Oahu goes extinct by 1837. That's yeah. quick. First extinction of uh, the podcast today. Wow. There's going to be gonna be more. Anyway, 
by the 1890s, the Mamos are also becoming very rare. There's this famous collector called Rothschild. And I don't even know how this was my first time hearing about a Rothschild. Mm -hmm. But I guess they're just this uber-rich family. And during this time, some of them were on a bit of a collecting binge, collecting art and other stuff. But they were also collecting natural things. Science was becoming popular. So Rothschild sends his collector, Henry Palmer, to Hawaii to look for mamos for his collection. Palmer gets kicked by a horse... And he's got to take a couple sick days. <laughs> God, I want to use that at work so bad. <laughs> got kicked by a horse. I'm going to need to work from home. Uh-huh. All right. So he, he takes a couple sick days and he has to send his assistant, Wollston, home to look for the mamos instead. So his assistant goes out looking for mamos and he catches a live one. At this point, the mama was so rare that one hadn't even been seen for almost 20 years. What? Yeah. So this was pretty pretty big deal. And the fact that he caught it live was special. So the assistant takes it back to his tent. He feeds it sugar and water. And he, he's got it perched up in there on a little stick. And it looks like they're going to be good friends. Then Palmer, his boss, comes in and immediately, upon seeing it, kills it and skins it. What? Yeah. I don't, it's like we haven't seen one of these in 20 years. Let's kill it and skin it. They were going to be good friends, though. You just said. I know. Uh, Wollstone Home, his assistant, was pretty upset. But as sort of a token of his appreciation, his boss gives him a picture of him with the bird. <laughs> The dead bird? No, I think somebody had taken a photo of the bird perched on his finger. Like they were buds. Yeah. Also, not long after this, in 1898, Rothschild sends another collector out there to look for the Mamo. And this collector ends up shooting the very last Mamo. (laughs) I don't I, did this come too fast? I was just... No, no, no. I, I Usually the last one it dies alone in a cage or something yeah. like that. But I guess he you know, got blown apart that was by a gun. That was one way to go. It just seems like there's a whole other story here with the pigs and the cattle in their history books that's probably a lot more exciting than ours pigs written history of pigs Mm -hmm. that the pigs wrote yeah of the decline of the mamo is more of like a battle won by the great pig empire right conquering the native hawaiian mamos (laughs) (laughs) i'll have to read that edition when it comes out yeah uh good news around this time they discover the black mamo what? It is a relative of the Mamo that lived on Molokai. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to the Mamo. It's just darker. I don't think it had the yellow pops that the Mamo did. But uh, that goes extinct about a decade later. That quick. Yeah. They're like, well, we found this new... But it's dead. It's gone. Well, yeah. Nice. They're getting more efficient. Uh, also, the other OO I talked about, mm-hmm. this is one that's also on Molokai. 
uh, that goes extinct as well. Just extincting them left yeah. and right. <laughs> so there's canceled, there's... <laughs> canceled, canceled. There's like four birds. You've got the two OOs. You've got the black mamo, and you've got the mamo. Pretty well, not anymore. Not anymore. Well, who is to blame? At first, it seemed pretty easy to blame the native Hawaiians, right? They were plucking these feathers like crazy. But <laughs> given that they probably used this catch and release method and that the feathers became less popular after the unification of Hawaii, it seems unlikely that they were the culprit. It was probably the much more obvious like ecosystem being completely destroyed. Yeah, if you look up Mamo and OO and, and all that, you're going to see they were used for the feathers of capes. And it's easy to deduce that mm. that's what led to their extinction. But I yeah, see. you're right. More likely to blame hitchhiking rats with a sweet tooth for those sweet, sweet Mamo eggs. Hooved animals like pigs and cattle that were clomping all over the bird's habitat. And diseases like avian pox that were spread by mosquitoes. Gross. And yes, all those were brought by European settlers, but let's be fair, it wasn't actually the Europeans who were doing the killing this time. Well, the stuff they brought was doing the killing, so come on. I didn't kill you. My gun killed you. Uh, It's an interesting extinction to me because they probably didn't realize what was happening. Whereas normally they're like, let's didn't care. Let's kill this Tassie tiger. Yeah, you know, let's get rid of this Falkland Islands wolf as fast as we can. Blood sucking monsters. This one, it was just like, did I do that? <laughs> I don't know. It was very Steve Urkel <laughs> defense. Yeah. Steve Urkel execution. Well, look, you're the Europeans. You've extincted so many animals. You just get sick of hearing it after a while. You're like... It's just become natural to where you don't even know you're doing it anymore. Yeah. Well, thanks for playing Mamo and Black Mamo and Oahu and Molokai OO. <laughs> Wish you had a better resilience to rats and pigs and disease and, and all that stuff. It's too bad. Too bad. <laughs> On a side note, the featherwork of native Hawaiians is still practiced today, but most often those feathers are made of dyed chicken feathers and are imported, already cleaned and dyed, from New York. New York City? They're probably from New Jersey. Come on. <laughs> also, what's crazy to me about this is... How awesome would lays made out of feathers have been compared to the flowers? Flowers probably equally as awesome. I'm not gonna. No I'm not way. gonna. I'm not gonna trash flower lays. They're cool. To me, they seem just like the poor man's necklace. Oh, you don't know anything about lays. <laughs> a good, like a real lay that's made out of real flowers and not like the plastic one that you get on like the Oriental trading catalogs. A very hey, cool. Don't knock. Oriental I will because it's just garbage that hasn't been thrown away yet. <laughs> but a feather lay would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's all I was trying to get you to say, Jack. But don't knock the flower lays. They're good. All right. I've got a special little feather story for you. Okay. And you might have already heard this because I think uh, This American Life recently did a story on it. But... <laughs> 
There's this American kid who broke into the British Natural History Museum and stole a bunch of these rare exotic birds. He steals 300 of them. What? Yeah, some of them are like the last of their species. This makes it seem like he rode up on his bike with his backpack, snuck in there, stuffed his pockets full. Yeah. Slipped out and hid out in his treehouse. Yeah, how do you break in and steal 300 specimens? That's crazy to me. How he did it, I don't even know. So why does he steal them? He is stealing them for fishing lures. Oh. Yeah. So he plucks them and sells the feathers for like these Victorian fishing aficionados that make these lures that are purely decorative in most cases. Yeah. From these rare, rare birds. (laughs) He gets caught. And I guess the dude fakes that he has Asperger's. Uh Uh-huh. In court, and he gets off with like a slap on the wrist. He, I don't even think he gets jail time for this. Damn. Isn't that crazy? That is nuts. Judge is probably like an avid fisherman. Yeah. He's like, oh, I don't see anything wrong there. He's like, uh, come see me after this is over. Thank you. I just thought that was a... That's crazy. Yeah, timely story for feather acquirement. Feather heist. Uh, I did not... Do a what is that thing we usually do at the end of the show? Uh, countdown to extinction clock. I did not do that. Um, I, okay, I'll ask you this then: if you could make one item of clothing from exotic feathers, which would what would it be? Eye patch. <laughs> I like it. What? Uh, I think it would look cool and make it almost seem like the feathers are growing out of my head. It's just something I don't. I frankly, I don't think I've seen before. What about you? I was going to go like a, a whole pants suit <laughs> made out of them, but that's so obvious, you know? I I wouldn't have picked pants suit as an obvious thing. Or like a track suit. <laughs> well, I like the pants suit like, cause it's kind of a power move. You go to switch the track suit, it gets a lot more leisurely. Mm, yeah, but it's like leisurely power move. <laughs> Well, that about does it. If you'd like to learn more about the Mamo or the other birds we talked about this week, visit our Twitter at ExtinctionPod. If you know how to rate stuff, rate stuff. Eh. Whatever. Whatever. Thanks for listening. A Peg Leg Deer production.